Aloha and good morning, New Hope Community Church. Magandang umaga sa yong lahat. Aloha kaheyaka. We're so glad that you joined us for online church today. And um, we just want to say thank you. Um, I know we have people joining us here in Oahu, some from Big Island, some from the Ninth Island, Las Vegas. We have people joining us from Japan, from Utah, from Arizona, from Oregon. We just want to say thank you, you know, because we understand and we know that there's so much content out there from world-renowned pastors and there's famous rock star worship teams that are leading into church, but you decided to join us and we really do appreciate it. Uh, we know that, just know that you are an answer to our prayers by you joining us. You know, earlier this week, our city has mandated to extend the stay-at-home order through, till May 31st. So we have another month ahead of us of being quarantined. Um, and that just caused our team to like really beef up our connecting points so that you could get plugged in. So we want to honor that and we want to practice social distance, but we still want to be relationally and spiritually connected. So we have a couple uh, things that we really want to uh, share with you guys. First is this, that uh, today uh, there is children's art and that starts at 9 a.m. for the preschool and the pre-K and another one for the kindergarten to fifth grade at 11 a.m. And then later on tonight at 5 p.m., uh, we have our systematic theology class. Um, and make sure that you join us for that. It'll be an amazing time where we get to establish our roots. Uh, we also have our uh, weekly youth gatherings, devotionals on Wednesday, a Friday hangout, and a service watch party on today as well, Sunday night at 5 p.m. We have our women's ministry on Thursdays at 8 p.m. After you put the kids down, all the ladies can get together and pray for one another, encourage one another, and as well as Saturday men's Bible study, uh, 6.30, all right? While we're doing our thing here, um, there's things that behind the scenes that we may not necessarily see, especially if you don't have young children. Um, you know, there's literally dozens and dozens of our children, our keiki, the next generation who are learning about Jesus in ways that they can understand. You don't always see what happens during the week, but our team gathers and we pray over each and every single prayer request. And we gather together and we put our minds together and strategize and think how we can best serve and disciple you. Um, you don't see the prayers, you don't see the practice, you don't see just how many people give um, money so all of this can happen. You know, the sacrifice of a single mom who faithfully gives because she feels like the Lord has called her to this church and it's, this is where her and her children uh, know more about Jesus. Or the college student, uh, she makes you know, minimum wage, but she gives 10% of all that she has so she can serve uh, in, in obedience with joy in her heart. And if you give to the ministry of this church, there's a good chance that you're going to do so behind the scenes. Maybe you've given in uh, tithing buckets or maybe you're giving online without an audience. It's not seen, but it is noticed. It's not public, 
but it is appreciated. And I want you to know that I'm, we are so grateful to be able to serve you uh, during this time. So thank you for your generosity. Thank you for helping people experience Christ in new ways of loving Jesus, discipling people, and serving our community. Let's go ahead um, and pray for our tithes and offering. Uh, you can also make sure on the top um, right hand for you guys, there's a give button as well as you can log in to newhopecommunity.tv slash give uh, so that you could uh, partner together to keep our church strong during this time and be on mission to what God has called us to do. Let's go ahead and pray. God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you, God, for this morning where we could gather in the name of Jesus. Lord, there's no other name under heaven which man can be saved except through your name. At your name, darkness flees, demons tremble, and people are saved. So I just pray, Father, that as we give out of the substance, Lord God, of who we are, I pray that you would multiply this. Bless every single person within the sound of my voice who is logging in, oh Lord God, to know more about you, to learn and grow in your ways. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, would you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 27 to 32. We're going to continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Renee did an excellent job last week, and today we're going to um, press forward with uh, Jesus' teaching on um, adultery and divorce. Not very fun topics, but this is why we go through the Bible verse by verse. So we don't pick over and gloss which verses that we like or personally minister to us, but we treat the Word of God as it is the whole counsel of God's Word. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Verse 31, a different topic now. It was also said that whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Now, have you noticed how much we like to exaggerate and use colorful, colorful language in order to make a point in our, every, in our everyday lives? Uh, and I'm guilty of it as much as anyone when we say like, oh, we're living in, un uh, these are unprecedented times. Well, guess what? It might be unprecedented times for us, but there has been precedence of pandemics 
and plagues and diseases like the bubonic plague, the Spanish flu, um, that it's not really unprecedented that it, these things have happened before. Or here in Hawaii, it's like, oh man, I went fishing, I caught a fish this big. No, you didn't. It was like this big. Um, we want to make a point, right? Um, especially during this time of being quarantined at home, man, my kids and even me, we use a lot of this literary device called hyperbole, which is a deliberate uh, exaggeration or overstatement to make a point, but which is not to be taken literal. These are um, quarantine kind things or uh, quarantine hyperboles, but here's a couple of them, you know, parents. I told you a million times today, clean your room. Now, there's only 86,400 seconds in a day. So it's impossible to tell your kids a million times. It might feel like you told your kids a million times, but it didn't really, it's not, it did not literally happen. Here's another one. Oh, there's nothing to eat. What they really mean is there's nothing that we want to eat. Uh, all you have to do is open the pantry. There's spam, right? There's Vienna sausage. There's cup of noodles, uh, there's mac and cheese, there's tons of things to eat. I'm so bored out of my mind. Really? Your boredom led you to, for your uh, mental space to not work anymore? It ceases to function, that it, it went out of your mind, that's how much your boredom has caused you? And this is probably the worst one for me that, I, I don't know, I just can't uh, stomach it, I can't stand it, but, huh. There's literally nothing to do. Oh, like, first of all, literally, okay? Secondly, nothing to do. I have stuff for you to do. Why don't you deep clean your room? Why don't you go outside, pick out the weeds, right? Why don't you wash the car that drives you from place to place? Why don't you vacuum and clean and do all these different things? Now, this might be silly for us, but um, in order for us to understand um, our text and Jesus' teaching this morning and to responsibly interpret what Jesus has to say, we have to take account two things in, in Matthew chapter 5. One is that Jesus' use of hyperbole, which is a deliberate overstatement or exaggeration, not to be taken literal, but secondly is the importance of the literary structure in verses 17 to 20. Remember the good, uh, the Easter message, Easter Sunday, that Jesus has fulfilled all righteousness? In other words, the key to understanding verses 21 to 48, we have to ground it and centered it, center it around the fact in verse 17, Jesus says, I have come to fulfill all righteousness. And from, the, from that foundation that Jesus has fulfilled, heaven and earth will not pass away until all these things are accomplished. That uh, there's six statements about anger, about lust, about divorce, about oaths, about uh, retaliation, about our enemies. And these six things, Jesus introduces a formula. You have heard it said, but I say. So these six 
um, issues or principles. It needs to be grounded on the solid rock mm -hmm. that Jesus Christ has fulfilled all righteousness. And here's the main idea and takeaway from these verses. Would you write these down in your notes? That Jesus is more concerned about the internal posture of the heart than the external appearance of religiosity. Say that again. Jesus, he is more concerned about the internal posture of your heart, of my heart, than the external appearance of religiosity. See, we need to treat the Sermon of the Mount as one cohesive, connected unit of teaching. See, Jesus did not come to abolish the law and eradicate the law, but he brought it into completion. He brought the law and the righteousness of God to the fullest reality that Jesus lived right. He became the perfect, holy, blameless Lamb of God to take away our sins. Jesus lived right so that you and I could live in right relationship with Him. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were only teaching an external obedience. It was a moral facade of outward piety that you just have to live the bare minimum of adherence to God's law. But the intent of God's heart or the law is not merely outward righteousness, but an inward or obedience. From our devotions yesterday, Jesus says, man, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I want the things. I want your heart more than anything else. I don't want the outward stuff. I don't want outward compliance and outward acts. I want the core of who you are. And unless your heart matches your deeds, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. See, external manifestation, it starts inside. Just like this whole pandemic, just like the COVID-19, the coronavirus, you don't treat the symptoms. You don't treat the cough, you don't treat the flu, but you go down to the root of um, this virus that's causing this and you get the antibodies and you get the vaccine to treat the cause. And Jesus, he doesn't want us to be focused on outward stuff, but he wants our heart. See, the way the Pharisees taught God's law was to get as close to God or to get as close to the line without stepping over it. You know, last week's message about anger and murder, man, it'll be like, as long as I didn't stab somebody, then it didn't really murder, I didn't really murder. The Pharisees, they asked, man, how much can I really get away with? Or how close can I go to the line without actually sinning? And there's two points from these verses that I want us to talk about. Number one, would you write down, do radical work to eradicate sin. Do radical work for the purpose of eradicating sin. Let's look at verse 27. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, 
Let me just pause there. There's these six statements. And what Jesus does is he asserts that he is God. Because in the Old Testament, the prophets would say, oh, thus saith the Lord, this is what God says. But Jesus says, hey, this is what you've heard, but I, the Lord of the Sabbath, I, the creator of all things, this is what I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, your good hand and your good eye, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Do the radical work. Do radical work in your heart and in your life, put safeguards, make resolutions to er eradicate sin in our, in our lives. Instead of asking, like the Pharisees, man, how much can I indulge and entertain and keep my little precious before it actually becomes sin? We must, be we must live as those who are willing to spiritually amputate in order not to commit sin of lustful intent. Let me ask you something. What if we took this verse, these verses, what if we took it literally? I'll tell you right now, there'll be a lot, all Christians, all true followers of Christ would be blind and they would be lame, that we would be amputated that there would be no one at church without eyes or without limbs. That, But let me ask you a question. What would we still have? We would still have lustful hearts. The problem is not on the outside. The problem is on the is inside. There's a, there's a tremendous difference, Jesus says, between this word lustful intent. There's a difference between acknowledging and recognizing, wow, that's a beautiful human being. Oh, she's a pretty girl. As opposed to, I want to consume that human being. I want to consume her. I want to consume him. There's a ginormous difference. There's a statistic that kind of blew me away. Uh, Google Analytics, they say, um, did our study and research that when kids are not in school, pornographic searches and queries and inquiries increase by 4,700%. Not 47%, not 700%, 4,700%. Would you do the work of eradicating sin? Um, would you install, if you don't have a, a wholesome filter to block pornography and gambling sites in your home, you could, there's a free resource, it's called 
opendns.com. Okay. Uh, when I came across this statistic, I, I, this was a while back, I took to lunch one of our church members who happens to be, uh, be uh, who does IT for the Department of Defense for our state. So make sure everything's safe and secure. I was like, hey, they say the average age the child is exposed to pornography is eight years old to 11 years old. I'm like, man, my kids, I have a 13, I have an 11, and I have a four-year-old. Like, how can I? And he told me, go to open DNS. Safeguard, put rules in your home. Like, hey, some of the things in our house is you cannot go to the bathroom with your phone or your iPad or a computer. Before you go to sleep, you put your devices, your screens, you put those in the living room and you don't bring it with you when you go to bed. See, sin is not external, but it's from within our own desires. Because oftentimes we blame our environment, we blame our culture. Um, well, we're just products of our own environment. Let me ask you something. Where does, cult, where, where does culture come from? Who makes up culture? Who creates culture? People do. We do. You know, James chapter 1, verses 14 through 15 says this, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, then desire when it has conceived. Look at the personification here of sin. But desire when it has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And look at the irony. And sin, when it is fully grown, it brings forth death. See, I don't know how fully convinced you are that you have an enemy to your soul that seeks to steal, to kill, and to destroy you. Not only does he play for keeps, but Satan has come and he plays to dominate, to devastate, and to destroy you, destroy your life, destroy your family, destroy your future. If you don't believe me, just Google before and after pictures of meth addicts. You'll visually see, man, there is an enemy to our soul that has come to destroy And the worst thing that you can do in regards to our tendency and our hearts and our lustful intent and our hearts is this. We could go swing the pendulum in two ways. One is go the polar opposite of denial and rationalize it with our immorality. Like, Lala, I'm I'm not going to listen to that. You know what? It's just a little thing I have on the side. You know, I'm not actually cheating on my wife. I'm not actually doing this. And, you know, I don't need to feel bad about it. Or we can do the other opposite of doing things in our own strength, in our own might, with our morality and trying to be good people instead of depending on Jesus Christ and the power of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ and Him crucified. The worst thing you and I can do is swing the pendulum. I knew someone in Bible college that just lived a life of compromise and, you know, would, would date different girls, would make out with different girls and, you know, 
would almost um, go all the way, but um, but he something would stop him. But you know, he eventually um, rationalized his way out of it. It's like, why do I feel bad? You know, everybody's um, having sex, and you know what? And he eventually um, just walked away from the Lord. He rationalized it. He goes, I'm, I'm not going to, you know what? I make a decision. I'm not going to feel bad. Why did God create me these desires? And he rationalized it and he justified it and he reasoned it out. By the grace of God, uh, that person uh, went back home to be with the Lord and is, is now um, a devoted follower of Christ. In dealing with our lust, in dealing with our lustful intention, let's remember the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn and grieve over sin because you will be comforted by the gospel of Christ and by the Holy Spirit. Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness for you shall be filled. That come before the Lord. Don't justify. Don't rationalize. Don't think you could do it. I get him. I get him. I'll do it in my own strength. Come before the Lord in the position of the beggar. Plead for mercy. Lord, I can't do this on my own. If I keep going on this path, this trajectory, I'm going to ruin my marriage. I'm going to ruin my children. This will end up in divorce. This would end up... Uh, Lord, in, in distancing myself from my kids, this would cause the fracture of my marriage and my family, and this would scar my children. Lord, I need your help. I need your grace. And when we come before the Lord with spiritual poverty, with humility, not in our own strength, and we deal and we put safeguards, then the Lord begins to move and work, and you're going to have victory over this. Jesus has come to give you life and life to the full. Surrender to him. Acknowledge. Bring some self-awareness and, and put it under the truth of God's word. I'm not going to blame, shift blame. I'm not going to blame my parents. I'm not going to blame my upbringing. I'm not going to blame my friends when I grew up. That's how this is the way I am. But you bring that before the cross and you hunger and thirst after God and you will be satisfied and you will be filled. You cannot do it on your own strength. You're too powerless against the schemes of the enemy. You're too impotent against your own sinful human nature. You need Jesus. You need the kingdom of God to change your desire and to give you strength. You know, Philippians chapter 2 says that work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Here it is. For it is God who is at work in you both two ways, to will and to work. That God will give you, the word will there is the Greek word thelane, meaning God will give you the desires, meaning God will change your heart. That God could transform a heart of stone, callous to the things of God, and he would take a... A heart procedure. He'll take out your heart of stone and put on the heart of flesh. That God will, Lord, change my desires, Lord, oh God. And secondly, both to will and to work. 
that God will give you the desires, but he will give you, in Jesus' name, he will give you the strength to love him and follow him. The word um, uh, work there is the word energain, where we get the word energy. God will give you the energy and he will give you the desires to live under his reign. Secondly, would you write down, esteem marriage in high honor. Esteem marriage in high honor. Let's look through verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say, Jesus says, that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. There are very few passages in the Bible that have caused more grief, more heartache, more hurt and injury than the misinterpretation of these passages. You see, in the Old Testament, God made a provision to allow divorce. Deuteronomy 21 it was a mercy for a woman in the ancient Near East to be allowed to go through divorce. Matthew 19, Jesus says that God allowed divorce. It wasn't his intent. He, whom God put together, let no man separate. No man can separate this holy matrimony, this holy union of marriage. Put it in high esteem. But Jesus allowed divorce, why? Because of the hardness of heart. That what Jesus is doing here is that he is pushing back this idea of a low view of divorce or of marriage. Because the Pharisees they themselves, they debated... In Matthew 19, they debated on, oh, you know, what should be the cause of divorce? What should be the grounds for divorce? And during that time, there was a Pharisees, it's called the, the school of Shammai. They were predominant in Jesus' day, and they argued that, the, that divorce was only allowed if one spouse was unfaithful. But there was another rabbinic thought, another school, the school of Hillel, which eventually won out the school of Shammai. And this is what they said, that any man could divorce his wife for any ground, for whatever reason, if she burned the toast, if she burned food. Even a later rabbi said, man, if you find a spouse more attractive, hand her a certificate of divorce and get married to uh, your secretary. And what Jesus does is he flips the script. He says, marriage is so important. It must be held in high honor. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Resolve in your hearts 
never to joke around about divorce. You know, before my wife and I got married, we had this rule. It's like, man, we're not even going to joking. Oh, just kidding about using the D word, using divorce, whether in jest, like you're, mess, you're messing around, right? Well, if my husband doesn't take me to my dream vacation, if he doesn't buy me my sports car, my SUV, ah, we're going to get a divorce, right? Or, well, you know, if she doesn't get rid of her baby weight, but that's it, we're getting a divorce. Don't even mess around. Don't even let that be in your conversation. Don't even let it enter your mind. So don't mention divorce in jest, but also never mention divorce in anger. When you're both heated, you're both driven by emotions. You see the Pharisees, they're like, man, how lightly can I treat this covenant of marriage? Jesus says, you know what, marriage is given by God. It is a gift of God, and we must hold it in the highest regard. As we wrap this up and bring it to a close, what is Jesus teaching here? Like, what is the underlying message? That the question that was being asked by the Pharisees is, how lightly can I treat this covenant of marriage? And what does Jesus do? He reorients them and says that marriage is given by God and we must hold it of the highest regard. Hebrews says marriage should be held in high honor by all people. Now, we have to acknowledge that there are cases where divorce is, necess is a necessary thing um, there are times when the marriage covenant has been so violated, has been so abused, so defiled, that the, the marriage bears no, res no resemblance to the relationship between Christ and His church. And it is a mercy of God to dissolve it in order to have a higher view of marriage. We must, we got to make room for our understanding of divorce. But we must never take a provision of divorce and let it translate to a low view of marriage. We want to be those type of people who say, man, I did everything I possibly could by, in my power, by God's grace to keep the marriage. So if you're asking, uh, some of you might be wondering a couple things. One is that how about if you're a Christian now and you got remarried uh, after having gone through a divorce? Uh, am I, did I commit adultery when I got remarried or uh, to a divorced person? My answer is, hey, Jesus has fulfilled all righteousness. What's done is done. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Paul would say, stay where you're at in your marriage. 
Jesus has fulfilled all righteousness. Jesus was crucified for you. You don't need to crucify yourself. You don't need to replay the tape. You don't need to rewind and replay your mistakes that you've made. Secondly, um, I just want to address um, this issue of divorce because Jesus said not unless there's immorality. The word there is porneia and um, John, what do we do with uh, abuse? Well, the issue of abuse, Jesus says that he allowed, God allowed divorce because of the hardness of people's hearts. So what that could mean is that is if there is this hardness of heart, if your uh, spouse continues to beat you, continues to physically be abusive to you, if, if they continue to refuse to go to counseling, to refuse to go to church, if they refuse at a light and, and this process of hardening their hearts and for your safety and the safety of your children, um, there's grace and there's mercy in divorce. But as we wrap this up, you know, that's Jesus is concerned about the posture of our hearts. I want to give you an opportunity to respond this morning. Even though the thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy, Jesus says, John 10, I have come to give life and life to the full. There's this potential of thriving. There's this potential of abundant life that Jesus came, he lived, he died, he was resurrected so that you and I could live under the kingdom and the reign of King Jesus. Would you surrender your life to him? Would you come, just like the Beatitudes, in the position of a beggar, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Acknowledge your poverty before God. Acknowledge your weakness before God right now. That maybe you've made a complete mess of your life. Jesus has come to restore. Jesus has come to heal. Jesus has come to forgive. Jesus has come to give victory over that. So would you, and if you want to receive this morning, on our Facebook page, there's going to be a link um, in our website, there's going to be a tab on the chat box that says, yes, I commit my life to Jesus. Would you press that? If you're on Facebook, you can type in, yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes. Just type in yes. And would you repeat after me? Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for setting me free. Jesus, come into my life. Would you be my savior? Save me from the penalty of sin and save me from the power of sin. Jesus, would you also be my Lord? Be the God over my life. Help me to obey, to love, and to follow you with all my might. Holy Spirit, seal me with your presence now. 
in Jesus' name. And I want to take this time also to pray. And if you want to recommit your life to Christ, if you want to confess and just like, hey, I've made a mess of my life and I I can't do this in my own strength. I want to pray for you that there's hope in Jesus, that there's no need to go back to the cross and flagellate yourself and crucify yourself. Jesus did that for you and for me already. And he has come to give you victory. Let me go ahead and pray. Lord, I pray for each and every single person, oh God. I ask right now that your Holy Spirit would quicken their hearts, oh God. Areas, oh Lord Jesus, in our hearts, in our lives, oh God. That there would be truth. Your word says that you desire mercy, not sacrifice. That... Uh, You desire, O God, that our hearts be united, that it's not divided. So, Lord, you have our hearts. I pray, Father, that you would strengthen us, O God, to love you, to follow you, to obey, and to delight ourselves in you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.